If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open with me once again to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible with you, just follow along in the insert that's found in your bulletin as usual. We continue this morning in what we began last week. For those of you who were here, uh, we began setting our hearts on the person and work of Jesus, on the significance of the incarnation, His coming in flesh, through His fulfillment of the three offices of ancient Israel, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And though we're using Hebrews chapter 1 as our, uh, as our starting place, this is not so much uh, a typical textual expositional series, it's more of a topical series. And it's a topical series that is by no means, I always have to say this disclaimer, it's a topical series that is is not saying all that could be said. There are volumes and volumes that could be spoken about each of these offices. But my prayer, as we dive into these theological realities, that they will become for us living realities in our lives And in our hearts. And so last week we looked at the ministry of the prophets, at how the prophetic office found its fulfillment in Jesus, the final word, and how Jesus' fulfillment of that office affects us as Christians, as little Christs here in 2018 in Northwest Washington. And so in short, last week we established that the prophets were God's voice among men. God's voice among men that men might know His will. And Jesus came to earth to show, to show the Word. Well, today we seek to establish, kind of flipping it on its head, man's presence before God. Last week we established God's voice among men. This week we seek to establish man's presence before God that we might know his presence, that we might know his favor. And this is what we call the priesthood of Jesus. This is the office uh, that gets the most uh, screen time, airtime. This is the office that's talked about the most, and rightly so, because this is the office that stands at the very center of our salvation. It's the very heart of what it means to be redeemed. It's largely also the message of the entire book of Hebrews, and so we're going to dip our toes into chapter one, but we're going to find ourselves all over the book today, not simply in Hebrews chapter one. But listen, as I read, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, just a few verses starting in the middle of verse 3 and reading down through verse 7. Listen as I read, this is God's holy Word. After making purification for sins, He, that is Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Similar to last week, as we set our hearts and our attention on this office today, I want us to be moving through redemptive history, as we call it. Redemptive history, which is, which is real history. From the time of, of ancient Israel, through the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus, in those 33-some years that He walked this earth with us, and then move to us here today in 2018. And this morning we're going to do that around three, three absolutely crucial realities in your life, in my life. And the first one is this. You need a priest every day. Every one of you in this room, you need a priest every single day. You may, not, you may or may not know this, but the world has a, a funny relationship with, with clergy, as I'm called with those ordained for religious duties. What I mean by that is that most of you in this room, to some degree or another, I am part of your lives. You've, you've been in my home. I've been in your homes. We've rejoiced together. We've prayed together. Some of us have even cried together. But for much of the world, they don't really care about what I do about what Pastor Voles does. They don't care unless they need someone to marry them, or they need someone to bury them. And occasionally other things get thrown in. I had a friend of mine, a dear guy who didn't go to church. He had no desire to go to church as much as I'd invite him to come to church. And he ran into me at Target one day and asked me in an, ar- in an aisle of Target if I would baptize his daughter. And I was confused. He's never come to church. He's never expressed interest, and yet he wanted me to perform this function. You see, pastors to most, or, or priests as the Anglican and Orthodox and Catholic traditions call them, are optional. They're optional. The book of Hebrews reminds us all this morning that you need a priest every single day. Now, you don't need a pastor, per se. You don't need an Anglican or Catholic priest. That's not what I'm saying. You actually need a Jewish priest. Let me explain what I mean. I begin here because this is where Hebrews 
1 begins. This is what Hebrews 1 is talking about when it talks about purification for sins. This is what much of the book of Hebrews is talking about when it talks about the priesthood, both in the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills that priesthood. And the original hearers of this letter, the original hearers of the book of Hebrews, those who were ethnic Jews, they would have readily understood this. It had been part of their lives. It had been part of their families for generation upon generation. But for us here today, what we just read is so foreign. Added to this is the fact that we we think ourselves to be pretty good. We're pretty good people. And while I would say you're, you are pretty good people, you're not as bad as you could be, you are not as good as you need to be. So lest we in our minds distance ourselves from this, this priestly purification for sins type language, I want us to think about the fact that we need a daily priest. I know some of you are still a little bit confused, so let's start at the beginning. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. You've heard of the story. Most of you have heard the story. You can recite it to me, but you need to hear it again, particularly in context. In the beginning, God created us in His image for His glory and for His pleasure and specifically for fellowship. God wanted fellowship. The overflow of the Trinity, the fellowship and the love. I've said this a million times, but I love it. In eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have dwelled together in triune love and fellowship, and it was overflowing. They didn't need fellowship. They wanted that love to overflow into other beings. And so they made us. God made us in his image for fellowship. And when we read in Genesis 1 of Adam and Eve existing in the garden with God, God is dealing directly with his creatures, and there's no need for a mediator. Walking in the garden together, creator and creature, it is unmediated fellowship. But by the time we get to Genesis 3, sin has changed everything. Through the disobedience of our first parents, through their, through their failure of the prophetic office, we could say, they heard God's word and they mishandled God's word. Through their, fail, through their failure of the, the priestly office, they were to guard this sacred space that God had set aside for them. And they didn't. Through that disobedience, sin entered the world and with it, death. Because blood had to be shed. As they sought to cover their nakedness, they sought to cover their guilt, they sought to cover their shame, and so they sewed together loincloths that required blood to be shed. Everything had now changed. And so the fellowship of a holy God and now unholy creatures was, was severed, was fractured. 
And yet here's the story of the Bible. God still longs for fellowship with his people. And so fast forward many, many years, God is choosing a nation for himself, the nation of Israel. He's setting them apart. And as he's doing that, he sets apart a distinct group of people, the sons of Aaron, to serve as priests. These men are called to a distinct holiness. They're called to an exacting list of tasks that would ensure that sinful men and women such as us could know and experience the favor of Yahweh. This was the only way. This was God's way, and in a sense, and here we come full circle, it is no different today. We read in Hebrews 5, verse 1, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And here we learn one of the primary functions of a priest in ancient historical Israel. They existed to assist God's people to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. If we read the book of Leviticus, and specifically the first seven chapters, five major sacrifices are outlined for God's people. And the reality was that God's people, though loved by Him, though bound to Him in covenant, could not approach Him on their own. They needed a mediator. God is too holy. God is too pure. And His rebellious creatures are too sinful. And so that very reality, the ugliness and severity of sin before the face of a holy God, is vividly communicated through sacrifice, by the blood, by the loss of life required. So in Leviticus 17, 11, the Lord says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, to our modern sensibilities in 2018, this is, this is almost disturbing, isn't it? And yet, yet there is a sense in which all forgiveness, writes Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor, all forgiveness is suffering. Even on an earthly level, to forgive when you've been wronged, it's not easy, is it? Forgiveness is not just sweeping something under the carpet. It's it's owning the pain that has been caused, and it's taking some of that pain on yourself in order to forgive. Now magnify that exponentially to an eternal, righteous God and an ever-faltering people. And what we have is Hebrews 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily 
at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Atonement is needed because sin must be punished. It cannot be ignored. The character of God will not let it be ignored. It can't be swept under the carpet. And so the people needed to bring what Yahweh commanded, and the priests would present it to God, representing the people that the relationship might continue. But the whole story of the Old Testament is that it's being done daily, repeatedly, every year, because it never can do the job. It can never fully take away sin. It's a band-aid. Even once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the most holy place in the tabernacle, a set-apart section, and the whole process is outlined for us in, in Leviticus 16. You can read it. It's long. It's involved. He would prepare himself. He would offer sacrifice for his own guilt before he could even represent God's people. His own sin had to be atoned for. And then we read in verse 15 of Leviticus 16, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood, sprinkling it over the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions of all their sins." And then he would take another goat and he'd put his hands on the head of that goat as if to say all of the sin of the people be on this goat and the goat was cast away every year. Every year this would have to happen with hundreds of rituals in between. See, God's people, they needed a priest every year, every year. Day. They needed a priest in order, that their, in order that God's promises might be theirs, in order that the joy and hope of the, of, of the Lord might be theirs, that access to their Creator might be open, and that His blessing would fall upon them. I go through all of that redemptive history just to make the point that the same is true for us today. Sure, we're not ethnic Jews living thousands of years ago, but we are the same flesh and blood living in the shadow of sin. And before God, we have the same barrier that they do. We need someone else to step in or there is no hope of getting through. There is no relationship to be had. Only judgments. And so, enough bad news. The difference between Old Testament Israel and us here today is Christmas, is the incarnation, is Jesus. And that's the second truth I want us to think about for a few minutes, and it's simply this. Jesus is the only priest you'll ever need. Yeah, you need a priest every single day, but you've got one. Jesus is the only priest you'll ever 
need, all the purification rituals, all the ceremonial cleansings, all the sacrifices, generation after generation, all the days of atonement, year after year after year after year after year, find their fulfillment in Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation when you have said two simple words, that's it? That's it? I love when I'm in situations where I can say those two words. After a fender bender, I call my insurance company, great insurance company, I tell them what happened, and they say, okay, we'll take care of it, Mr. Hitchcock. That's it? You you don't need me to do, do anything else? No, no, sir, we got it. If we need you, we'll call you. We'll contact him. We'll contact their insurance company. That's it? That's it. There's no need for you to bring anything to atone for your sin. There is no need for you to work to bring yourself into the favor of the Lord. There is no need for you to bear the guilt and the shame of your past. Jesus is all that you need. He came in the flesh in order to fulfill this priestly role. And it was a role that was costly. No doubt it was costly, but not for you and I. It's the message of the Bible. It's the message of the book of Hebrews. This is the good news that we celebrate. The good news that we need to remember every single day. Returning to our passage The first words I read, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is finished was his cry on the cross, and finished it is. He sat down. And we ask, we ask, how are thousands of years so definitively dealt with in this one sacrifice? Well, it has to do with the nature of the sacrifice. The priests were called to holiness, but Jesus was holiness in the flesh, the spotless, all-sufficient Lamb of God. The priests needed to offer a sacrifice for themselves first. Jesus had no need to do that. He was God in the flesh. He was better than all that preceded him. Even the angels, it says in Hebrews 1, even the angels worship him. And so we read in Hebrews 7, it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those of the high priest, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin, and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And so there's no more daily standing There's only the Lamb of God sitting. There's no more sacrifice for sin. But Jesus' priesthood goes beyond simply making us right with God. He gives us unprecedented access to God as well. Those of you who know the story, as Jesus died on the cross, as darkness covered the land, 
The curtain in the temple was, was ripped mysteriously in two. No longer would access to God be, be restricted. A new and living way had been introduced. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with true hearts and full assurance of faith. See, in the incarnation, Jesus, excuse me, God has proved the lengths that he will go to in order for fellowship to be restored. The sending of Jesus communicates to us that he wants, he wants every day for us to live in his presence. Our fellowship with him is not an occasional thing. It's a daily life-encompassing reality. And to ensure this very thing, Yahweh says, come to me. I am not far off. I know you. I'm closer than I've ever been. I've left my spirit to dwell among you. And even when you struggle to come, Jesus says, I'm praying for you, which is another priestly function that Jesus performs. He prays for us. Hebrews 7, 25, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Paul echoed this in Romans 8, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who indeed is interceding for us. And this, this interceding, this word intercession that is used here, it doesn't mean simply representation. It doesn't mean he's representing us, although he is doing that. It means it has the sense of actively making petitions on behalf of someone else. That's the way it's used in every other instance in the New Testament. Just meditate on that for a second. The risen Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. This, this sitting of Jesus is not some lazy boy uh, inactivity. It's the active, personal understanding, because he's been here, he's done that, pleading before the Father. The pleading of the man-God Jesus who understands your pain and struggle. The pleading of the God-man Jesus who has the divine ability to understand and to know and to hear us all. I came across a wonderful quote from the theologian Louis Burkhoff. Listen as I read it. He says, it's a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even, even when we are negligent in our prayer life, that He is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers, and that He prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us, though we don't even notice them. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we might come out victorious in the end. Wow. 
Brothers and sisters, in recognizing that you need a priest and rejoicing and resting in the priest that you have been given in Jesus, the only thing left to do is to reflect, is to reflect him. And that's the last thing that we speak of this morning. Last week, we were called to be prophets, I said, small p, soft p. Well, so too are you called to be priests called to be priests. Now, you may not think of yourself as a priest, but by virtue of your union with Jesus, that's exactly what you are. And it's a call that begins here in this very place. Among these people, among us corporately in the house of God, we give service to the Lord. We give service to one another before a watching world. And yes, Nate and the elders and the deacons, we all have our unique roles, but we're all called to the priesthood. 1 Peter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews talks about what we're doing here is being priests. We are offering sacrifices of praise, lips that acknowledge His name. And we not only sing sacrifices of praise, but we, we pray for one another. John Murray, the 19th century South African pastor, says this, I have become united to the high priest, and he has given me a priestly heart that intercession might be made not only at, all, at times, but continually from me and from every member of the body. And the priestly roles that begin here, they extend from here because we go from this place offering our bodies, our very lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. We become those who serve the world by giving testimony to who Jesus is and to what Jesus has done. This is a season, the season of Advent, the season of Christmas, the the holidays, where there seems to be an open door for that, the season of giving. Everyone calls it that, but The season of giving for what? And to what end? It's the season of giving because we have been given life through His Son. We have been made priests through the great and holy high priest. And so we live as those forgiven. We draw near to God through Christ. We hold fast to our faith in a watching world, and we encourage one another all the more as the day of His return approaches. My prayer is Pastor Murray's prayer, that the Lord would give me a priestly heart. It's my prayer for us, that we would have priestly hearts. We need a priest every day, but you have all you need in Jesus. So live as those forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for 
the person and work of Jesus, for God becoming flesh for us, fulfilling all that was inadequate in the past, making it real, making it sufficient, making it full. Father, as we seek to reflect who You are and what You've done, give us grace. Give us Your Spirit, we ask. And impress these truths upon our hearts that we might indeed live not as orphans but as children, as those forgiven, as the priesthood of all believers. Father, this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.